Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this September the 26th in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with the help of Pastor Mark Smith, we are going to be listening to and, well, examining the hymn for this coming Sunday, entitled, Lord, Keep Us Steadfast in Your Word. And so let's listen to it first. Keep us steadfast in your word. It's done, of course, that particular one, by the Te Deum Conference of Higher Things. So, wonderful hymn. Where does it come from? Well, it comes from Martin Luther. Yes. In the decades after 1520, the Ottoman Turks expanded their empire into Western Europe through military conquest. In fact, in 1541, they captured the predominantly German city of Buda, now part of Budapest, the capital of Hungary, and appeared poised to roll into other German lands. It was Martin Luther, and his compatriots recognized the danger of being invaded and occupied by a foreign power, of being ruled by Muslim authorities who opposed the gospel. After the loss of Buddha, 
Elector Johann Friedrich instructed Luther and Johann Bugenhagen, pastor of St. Mary's Church in Windenburg, to admonish the pastors in the duchy to pray for protection against the Turks. In 1541, the hymn, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word, is mentioned in the admonition to pastors. But later on, it was reported that the mention of this hymn was not in the first edition of the admonition, but later on. The hymn indicates that Jesus Christ is the object of our enemy's hate and the one whom they seek to destroy. At the same time, Jesus is said to be the only source of power in their defeat. So that's the background of this short hymn, Lord, Keep Us Steadfast in Your Word, written by Martin Luther. But of course, Luther wrote it in German. Guess who translated it into English, Pastor Smith? Catherine Winkworth. Boy, she was really busy she translating sure hymns. Yep. Almost hymn after hymn we're looking at is often translated by her, especially the ones by Martin Luther. So is this a hymn that you use often or... Oh, this is a good hymn, of course. It's one of Luther's. I think it's one of his best hymns, even though it's so short. It's too bad it's so short, but uh, but yeah, I use it a lot, uh, especially around the time of uh, Reformation in October. Right. It's mentioned for that, Reformation, also as a closing hymn. But the fact of the matter is, did you know that it was written because of the Muslims invading Germany? No, I did not know that. But uh, somebody has once said it's 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 always the Turks. Who was it that said that? One of uh, a contemporary of Luther. It's, it's the Turks. It's always the Turks. And uh, yeah, they were a real threat. Yes, and they had you know, defeated this town of Buda, and then they were starting to move more into Germany. And Germany really has gone through some difficult wars over the years. Of course, the First World War and the Second World War, primarily Germany, not the Turks were the enemy. So we can sing this, keep us steadfast in your word, and as we go through the hymn, we can apply it to people today. So if you would be kind enough to read the first stanza. Gladly. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Curb those who by deceit or sword would wrest the kingdom from your son and bring to naught all he has done. Now, it might be difficult for a 
child, because we encourage you to read the hymns, phone up the church, like on Wednesday, find out what the hymns are, and then if you have children, go over them during supper or sometime during the evening when they're all home from school and explain to them. So the thing I would want to know, what does it mean to curb those? What does that mean? Curb those who by deceit or sword would wrest the kingdom from your son. Um, you know, I think I think a critical word there is right in the middle of that uh, stanza, would. And what that means is they would. They, it was their, it's the will of God's enemies to wrest to rest the kingdom from, from uh, God's son, Jesus Christ. That's what they would want to do. But uh, as we uh, recite in uh, the small catechism, God's kingdom comes even without our prayer. Uh, so we know God's kingdom. We're also told in the scriptures that uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against God's church. Nevertheless, we are to pray fervently, as, as the contemporaries in Luther's day urged uh, the clergy to pray. We want to pray that, that God would curb those who by deceit or sword would try to wrest the kingdom from your son. They will not be successful. God's kingdom shall prevail. But nevertheless, that does not mean we, we, we do want to continue to, keep his, to pray for his kingdom, that it would come to us also. How does the word curb fit into that? Okay, curb is like, uh, well, it's like uh, you think of what is, what's a curb on a highway or, or, or on a street. It keeps, uh, it keeps the, the cars and other vehicles uh, in the road. It at least gives you some protection if you're walking on the sidewalk. It's a, it's a barrier, and that's, uh, that's what uh, we're asking God to, to defend us and to, to keep us separate from the invaders. Uh, in those days, it was the Turks, the Muslims, and uh, we pray his protection from anyone who would try to rest, uh, wrestle the kingdom uh, from the Son, Jesus. Well, son, so well said. So what is the curbing process? How do we curb these things? Okay, let's see. Well, he, I mean, he, of course, all things are at, at his command. And uh, let's see what else it says. Uh, well, we, we ask that God would bring to bear all of his power and might and, and will and uh, not permit the, uh, the enemy's uh, uh, triumph over us. Well, let me give you an example. You go to a hospital, one of your members is about to have surgery, and he or she is really nervous. How do you curb that nervousness? Oh, the gospel. The person really needs the gospel in that situation. I would assure her that, look, uh, you're, you're going into surgery, you're, you're, you're anxious, and understandably so, but be assured that... God will be with you 
throughout the surgery, and uh, you will continue to be with him. Either you'll be with him here on earth and continue with him here on earth, or you'll continue with him in heaven. In, in other words, you speak promises right. to the person who needs to be curbed. Absolutely. All the promises in the of God. For this coming Sunday, from Philippians 2, it reads, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. What does that mean to be of one mind? Well, we strive to be uh, in unity, and the unity uh, which comes, of course, uh, from the scriptures. Uh, yes. We want to. We strive to be one in our faith. Yeah, this is this really powerful verse, verse four of Philippians two. Let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's really part of the life of sanctification. Yeah, I would agree. Saying, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So this is really what the epistle from Philippians is all about. You already mentioned it, that God is in total control and we therefore curb wickedness on the part of people or false teaching by using God's word. And that's what this hymn is really all about. Um, have you noticed something about the hymn? L let me suggest, is it Trinitarian? Yes, it is. It's, uh, it, it talks about the Father. Uh, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. It addresses the Father in the first verse, uh, the Son, Jesus, in the second verse, and the Holy Spirit, the Comforter of Priceless Worth, in the, in the third stanza. Excellent. Very good point. And so if you would read the second stanza. Okay. Lord Jesus Christ, your power make known, for you are Lord of lords alone. Defend your holy church that we may sing your praise eternally. Now, this verse is saying that we are to sing his praise eternally. But on what condition are we to do that according to the verse? Well, provided, you know, d defend your holy church that we may sing your praise eternally. Uh, defend your church here on this earth so that so we may join with the church triumphant in heaven and sing his praises eternally there. Well, the first part of the verse says, 
Lord Jesus Christ, your power make known. What does that mean? Make his power known. Lord Jesus, make your power known. Um, His kingdom of power uh, exists over all, Um, uh, particularly in the church. We make it known by spreading the gospel. Right. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the power of God under salvation to them that believe. It's the dynamis, which is where the word dynamite comes from. It's, it's the power of God under salvation to them that believe. The now, gospel, really... very simply, very simply, the gospel is salvation by grace alone through Jesus Christ. Exactly. But his power needs to be made known because Christianity is not a natural religion. Right. No other religion in the world understands the power of God and how he has saved men. So Christianity is revealed, and therefore to make his power known, we need to reveal his promises as found in Holy Scripture because they're not found in any other religion. That's right. It's not found and in nature. That, it's not found, uh, you know, it's not found in uh, science or anything like that. It's it's found in, it's revealed in his word, specifically and especially in his gospel. So the task of the church is really to reveal that word to those who are ignorant of it. That's right. How does the how does the church do that? It reaches out. It reaches out to the lost, and uh, through uh, through by means of you know person to person evangelism, um, by sharing the gospel with our neighbors and with people on the other side of the, of the globe. You know, to send out missionaries where we can. Yeah, the main point would be to do so, like, for example, in a worship service. Right. What should a worship service do? It should, uh, well, I'll tell you what, first of all, uh, first of all, the, the law needs to be proclaimed to bring his people to their knees, to help us to realize right. how lost Good and point. condemned we would be without the Savior. And then, once it's done that, once, it, once it's exposed us for our sins and our lostness, then, of course, it brings to bear uh, fully uh, the gospel, which shares with us that we do indeed have a Savior. We would be lost without Him, but we indeed have a Savior, Jesus, who has atoned for all of our sins and uh, washed all of our sins away already in our baptism. That's found in the chronology of the Bible. Who was the individual proclaiming law? In the Bible? Yeah. Well, the prophets. Uh, we think of Moses. But who was preparing for Jesus? 
who was preparing for Jesus. Oh, are you thinking of John the Baptist? Right. So that every preacher needs to be like John the Baptist in part of the sermon and then moves to the words of Jesus and the gospel in the rest of the sermon. That is right. That's how we we need it. We need to preach the law as well as the gospel. Got to have both of them. And especially the gospel, we want the gospel to predominate. We want people walking out of that church service on Sunday morning or whenever whenever we have a church service, we want the people walking out uh, having heard that though poor, miserable sinners they are, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, he's, a, he's atoned for all of our sins, and he has, uh, he has brought us back to God. The way I think of it is I try to get the people to be like those two disciples after the road to Emmaus Bible study. Yes. Yeah. What you, does it say what, about them? Well, it says when, when Jesus finally vanishes before their eyes, after he breaks bread with them that evening, he vanishes before our eyes. And he said, they said, as they, they discussed this together, he said, didn't our hearts burn within us yes. as he was well uh, sharing with his uh, opening the scriptures to us a- along the way? That's, that's really, really critical. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I like doing when I analyze sermons, I'll have the pastor give me a copy of his sermon and then I ask him to underline every sentence that he said that the people had no idea about it. That's revealing truths from God's word. And that's how I believe people's hearts burn within them when they hear all this revelation that they were unaware of. And and so the sermon doesn't just repeat the English. It actually interprets the English from God's point of view so they understand what he's truly saying. So we can read, so, mark, learn, and inwardly digest his word. Well said. Stanza three, please. All right. O comforter of priceless worth, send peace and unity on earth. Support us in our final strife and lead us out of death to life. Now, this verse explains what Luther is talking about. What is this peace and unity on earth all about? and peace and unity on earth. That, uh, that's the peace, not that the world gives, but the, wor- the, but the peace which only God himself can give us uh, through the gospel, through his word, uh, peace and unity. That's, that's the, the, it's, the, it's, not a, it's not a peace like, oh, kind of a sentimental peace, like, oh, isn't it sweet? Isn't it quiet? No, when we're talking about the peace that he gives us, that peace holds us in good stead, even in the midst of strife and uh, and uh, and hazards. 
or whatever calamity befalls us, we still have the peace which only God can give us, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Yes. What did Jesus say to Pontius Pilate about the kingdom? He said, uh, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of That's this world, this... my 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 uh my children would fight for me but it's it's not of this world it's it's uh my his kingdom is uh of course well we think of the kingdom of of heaven but go who ahead what are you going to say with? who do we have peace with we have peace with god that it was brought about yes. through the atoning death of jesus christ he has broken down the barrier of sin and, and brought us back to God. He's atoned us. He's made us one with his heavenly Father. Now, that's important that you mention his heavenly Father because that's what the Bible says, that due to the death of Christ, the peace we have is with God the Father, who was angry with our sin but now is no longer angry with our sin. Why is he not angry with our sin? Why does he not hold us accountable? Because of the blood, the blood of his holy son poured out upon the cross, his blood of his son, true God and true man, uh, is of infinite value. And only the, the blood of Christ can... Uh, can wash us clean of our sin, and uh, only that blood counts us uh, in good stead with God. And God showed that. He showed us that he accepted Christ's sacrifice on the cross by raising his son from the dead on uh, that first Easter morning. Thank you very much, Pastor Smith, in helping us. It was a short hymn, but there's still plenty of revelation in it that is not known by other religions. Uh, join us tomorrow for a continuation of a law and gospel subject at 9.30. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and you just heard from Pastor Mark Smith. Until tomorrow then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.